I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. What's up? So tell me about, tell me about your uh, Christmas holiday celebration in um, Houston. What was it like? It was a whirlwind. I um, got in on Christmas Eve morning and I'm incredibly grateful that I was able to travel without any headaches. I know that Mm -hmm. is definitely not a guarantee this season, right? but made it out of Oakland intact, got to Houston and then headed straight over to a Christmas Eve service at my mom's church. Okay. Then went to a Christmas Eve party um, by our good friends and neighbors. Okay. Um, Dragged myself out of bed the next morning. just in time to not be helpful um, <laughs> on Christmas day, but luckily my mom and sister-in-law held it down. Yes. And yes. yeah, we had a, a nice uh, celebration with the family at my brother's house and yeah. I held the the twins for the first time. Um, so that was really special. These are your brother's babies, right? Yeah. So I have two brothers. Yes. I was at okay. one brother's house and then my other brother um, came a little bit late. He always shows up late. So I have I mean, to rally. <laughs> I mean, and I see nothing wrong with that as a fellow <laughs> fashionably late person. Yeah. And as, as a, a father to five children, I do not blame him at all. Dang. I hope he got a minivan. They got an SUV. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Stays packed. Bringing up my minivan makes me like break out in a cold sweat because I really miss my minivan. That was my dream car. I loved that car. I hugged it when I let it go. I was like, (laughs) girl, you've been good to me. I love it. What kind of minivan was it? The Swagger Wagon was, um, which is what everybody affectionately called the Swagger Wagon. Mm. She, um, she, because I gendered her. um, (laughs) (laughs) She was a white Honda Odyssey. Wow. That I that nobody believed me when I said it was my my dream car, and um, when I posted pictures to social media of me on the lot at Curry Honda holding my keys <laughs> with a delirious like grin on my face, people were like, "Is this a joke?" And I'm like, "No, I got all the cup holders, I got automatic doors, and you know, my model was like, "Yes, yes, he can come too." I can, yeah. Like I was the queen of the last minute play date. Like, mom, can can Ashley come too? Of course, Ashley can come too. We're just gonna put her on a third row with them cup holders and the wow. whole media package. Shout out Dang. to the minivan, man. Yeah, no, my mom drove a minivan too. It wasn't as souped up as yours. But... My, mini, my minivan was tricked out. It was the it was the biz. Oh, yeah. well, tell so. me about your Christmas. Um, okay, so before I get to our Christmas, I will would like to acknowledge um, all of our listeners who um, were celebrating Hanukkah. Um, mm. And um, it was kind of actually kind of neat that the um, that Christmas Day and the eighth night of Hanukkah fell on the same night. Mm. Um, so um, it, you know, as, as people who like are still on Twitter may have seen that 
we were just like really um, doing a lot to kind of share community and hold space and learn more about each other's um, cultural traditions. And so um, Mark Shapiro from Explore the Space podcast mm-hmm. um, challenged us all to eight nights of planks. Um, <laughs> and to be clear, you know, this was not about appropriating anybody's holiday or anything. This was really more about um, building community. And it really wasn't about the planks, because obviously, if you're a person whose um, cultural tradition somehow gets buried or feels othered, um, mm. that gets old. And I, I just it was such a cool opportunity to learn more about what people did. So people were sharing stories about their favorite Hanukkah experience. So that was dope. So shout out to everybody who did the eight nights of planks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, for us, we kept it really, really low key. Just just the unit manning party of four, which was really fun. <laughs> I um, do a scavenger hunt on Christmas morning. Yes. Yeah. So I change the theme every year. The way it works is you get a clue and you find another note that tells you something to do, a task or a question, and you must complete the task or answer the question correctly to open one gift. And then you do it again. What's beautiful about it is that it slows everything down and it mm. makes like five gifts take like an hour, but it makes the kids like fo- like they pick which box they're going to um, open. They 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 really like savor it. It's almost like sitting down to a table to eat versus walking around eating. Yes. That's a wow. beautiful thing. So this year, true to, you know, me on that fitness hype mode, because, <laughs> um, you know, last year we had family history. We had black, we've had black history, STEM, Bible, um, Bible history, um, our favorite books. So stuff for like from reading comprehension this year was fitness. So my kids were like planking, doing burpees, doing push-ups, <laughs> flutter kicks. It was on and popping. Um, yeah, like my son wow. was like planking. He was like, mom, who has to do a one minute plank before they can open a gift? I was like, my kids. <laughs> I'll be. Yeah. Gotta work for these gifts. That's right. And every one of I my clues that. rhymes. So I'm, I'm like, I said, this is going to be one of these things that like when you are an adult, you're going to reflect and say, my mom put so much thought into my Christmas morning, even when I was really old. My kids are 17 and 16 and they still, they still game for it. They're like, what's the theme this year, mom? I love it. I'm not telling. So that was, that was good. And um, the last thing we did at the end, um, instead of a fitness challenge, it was just to name something that you think is special and that you love about every member of our family, including yourself, including Mm. yourself. And I have to say, you know, sometimes I really feel like I suck as a mom. I mean, really, I ain't gonna lie. And if you are listening to this and you're a parent, I know you have felt this way too, but sometimes we get it right. Mm. And one of my sons said to me, mom, I love you because you just go hard at being a mom. You just really, you like, you, you do all the things a mom should do to make a kid feel safe and loved. I was like, wow. And then my older son said, I am really proud of how disciplined you have been about your health. Mom, when I was with you at that um, formal, um, you were, we were getting ready to take a picture. And I was like, my mom's back is ripped. And <laughs> I was like, and he was like, my mom is, my mom, my mom look, really looks strong. That is great. Wow. I said, did my son just tell me my back was ripped? Okay. <laughs> you know what I did after that too? I went downstairs and worked out because I was so say, I'm sure you would. 
without any further ado, because I've been wait- this is like my my second Christmas present. Oh, please. Yes. <laughs> Sis, uh, tell us on this fine post Christmas morning, what is the what? Um, I'm not gonna make you choose your own adventure. So that's the first thing I'm gonna tell you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Take the pressure the, off. The what is pivot. 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 Ooh. Okay. You always come with the strong words. Yeah, I'll be trying. I'll be trying. You know, we like the lexicon, so we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna try to make it do what it do. And actually, this day I am going to give you three mini stories. Yes. That focus on um pivot points that I think have absolutely been critical to my success as an adult and in my career. Mm, Because there are other pivot points that deal with my personal life, right? But these are going to be mostly things that I think um, planted seeds that help me professionally. Um, And I, and I hope that people listening to this and that you too um, will be thinking about what, what might some of these pivot points be um, and many of them precede you ever setting foot into school, like medical school or residency, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to start by taking you back um, to Inglewood, California <laughs> in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, where I grew up uh, in um, a part of Inglewood at sort of a, um, an intersection called Crenshaw and Imperial, which was a area that really you know we had okay schools pretty good schools but when they got to middle school like many places middle schools are tricky time and parents need to start trying to figure out what they're going to do and our school district in inglewood california had um, a few schools that were busing kids to um, other schools where if you were a high achiever or if you need a little bit more of a challenge it might be a good school for you my parents along with a crew of other kids in our neighborhood another crew of families in our neighborhood sent us to this school called parent school Parent school was still in it's still in Inglewood, but it was kind of like more on the edge of an influent area in Los Angeles called um, Ladera Heights. That was cool, you know, because I loved where I grew up in, in Imperial Village, but um, Ladera was very different. It was my first time going into places where it was kind of integrated. Um, it was still predominantly black, but, I, you know, I had never been anywhere that was not all black and Mexican kids and um, mm. Asian Pacific Islander kids. And so um, parent was a good fit for me. It was cool. You know, I was learning. The teachers were really nice. Um, I I was still doing well. I made friends. My best friend from childhood had gone to the school with me. So it was safe. It was good. I was in the seventh grade and uh, I took this English class, this language arts class, which was just your standard seventh grade in language arts class. And I had a teacher. Her name was Shirley McNeil. Now, I will tell you before meeting Shirley McNeil, I was a straight A student. And I had never like seen a C on my report card. I was still as charming as I am now, Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) y'all. So teachers dug me. I didn't have no problems in school. And Miss McNeil was really, really stern. The the word was out on her that she was mean, that, you know, she, you know, she was this kind of older um, white woman with like gray hair and cut in a really short, severe style. And she didn't like smile a lot in class you came in there you sat in there you did your work and you it wasn't a whole (laughs) lot of shenanigans and as a person who likes shenanigans this was a problem for me but okay but you know she didn't treat me too bad it was cool but i remember writing an essay for miss mcneil and the essay i thought was good i get my essay back and there is a c on it not just a c Mm. a c minus And there was red ink all over it. And I was appalled because one of the things that I didn't really struggle in was language arts. I struggled in math. 
But language arts was usually a social study, stuff like that. I was usually cool. And I looked at my classmates around me and people did not have like C's. They had B pluses and my best friend had an A minus. Mm. I, was, I felt some type of way about this. And my best friend was a math person. I was like, yo, this is not cool. Me and my, you know, 80 pounds soaking wet, I go up to this woman and I'm like, um, can you tell me what was wrong with my essay? And she was like, oh, it's all in the margins. You can see. <laughs> so I read the margins and I'm like, this lady is a hater. The next essay I wrote for her, I got another C. This time it was not a C minus. It was just a C. I was absolutely appalled. And I go to talk to her and she tells me I need to come talk to her during lunch. And I sit down with her at lunch and she says to me, you are too good of a writer to be handing in what you're handing in. Wow. And there are spaces in what you've written that demonstrate what kind of writer you are. If you make up your mind to be great at this, you can actually be a really gifted writer. I am grading you based upon your potential. And I want to see you try your hardest. You have not given your best. And I will continue to give you a grade that is commensurate with the effort you have put in mm. with, what, with, with what is in you. And I was like, what? But yeah. I think she was telling me, she was like, you, you are just, she's like, you, you, you really are, you have a gift with words. You really, you do things with words that other people don't do, especially at your age. I want, I want to see you try harder. Mm. And I got a B out of her class, but then I took her class again in eighth grade. And, and that lady pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And when I walked out of eighth grade, I was like, you know, I may not be the best dancer. I may not be the fastest runner, but one thing I can do, damn it, is I can write. I'm a good writer. <laughs> and, and that woman showed me how to do that. So that was my first pivot point. It was the time that I knew I could write. That was the first thing. The next pivot point happened when I was a resident physician. I was um, a MedPeds resident. I loved my residency program, but I chose MedPeds honestly because I just knew I was 24 years old and needed options. So I'm going through the motions and I, and I'm, I just didn't know what I wanted to do, but then I just kind of had this idea like, okay, I'll be medpeds double boarded and I will hang a shingle somewhere and do primary care for adults and kids. Cool. Cool. And I never thought about academic medicine that was not on my radar or anything. I just knew I probably would take care of underserved patients after coming out of Meharry. It was cool. But in my, um, when I was on call, that one of the things that I used to always notice is if I ever saw a medical student sitting in a corner reading pocket medicine or pharmacopoeia or something, I just thought that was a waste. So I would just collect medical students and be like, hey, it would, they wouldn't have to be on my team. They wouldn't even have to be on medicine. I'd be like, look, <laughs> what you doing? Come on, come with me. I'm about to go see this patient. So this became like my thing. People knew I did this. If you were sitting by yourself and I saw you, I was going to take you with me. I wasn't even no chief or nothing. This is just regular resident behavior for me. <laughs> and in my senior year as a resident, I got this note in my, in my mailbox inviting me to be honorarily inducted into AOA. I am at this AOA induction and the medical students that nominated me who I wasn't even particularly close to. They were just a couple students that one day I had picked up on rounds. One of the students stood at the podium giving sort of the little spiel about why they nominated me. And she gives her spiel, it was very nice, but at the end of it, she looks at me and she says, I do not know what you plan to do in the future. I don't know what you plan to do with your career, but whatever it is, 
please make sure it involves medical students and residents. Wow. This, this is your gift. Mm. And I was like, wow. And I'm telling you, I have been asked to be chief resident at this point, but it had never occurred to me that I was going to do academic medicine. I, I just, I thought I might like let a medical student come shadow me or something like in my <laughs> office, but I never even thought that. The last thing I'll tell you is about um, when I was a, um, a first year faculty member at Emory and um, I was doing a faculty development program and my division chief, Bill Branch, um, had us doing this exercise called um, critical incident reporting. And what we did was we were asked to just take out a sheet of paper and write down um, a, a, a critical incident that happened to us that taught us something um, in medicine. It could be, you know, something with a patient. It could be a mistake you made. It could be something that, you know, you just felt like was something that really you, you just haven't been able to shake. And I chose um, to write on this yellow pad of paper the story of when I got my first voluntary HIV test. The thing that was deep about it is that I had become very good at convincing people to get an HIV test. I was very good at it but I had never been voluntarily tested for HIV. And this patient looked at me and told me that it's probably different for you guys, doctors, you get tested all the time. But the truth is nobody was making us get tested. Right. I just realized what a hypocrite I've been and decided that, okay, I, I probably need to go get me an HIV test. I had had some behaviors before that had put me at risk at some point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid. And I wrote yeah. this all out in my little essay. So the way that this session worked is that we read out loud what we wrote. And you know okay. me, I'm a sharer, so I didn't care. Yeah. Like I, you know, that but I wrote about to me. Yeah, but. it was horrifying. <laughs> and also this was back when you waited two weeks to get your antibody test back. And let me just tell you, that was the longest two weeks of my life. By the time I got to the end of reading what I'd written, and I remind you, I wrote this in like we had a 30 minute period to be able to write. Mm. People were like, it was like you could hear a pin drop. Somebody was crying. People were just <laughs> like, damn. When it was over, people were like, wow, that was really powerful, blah, blah, blah. But Bill Branch, my division chief, comes up to me and says, I cannot believe you wrote that in that short period of time. You should type that up and submit it for publication. Now, remember, I'm a first year faculty member. I don't know what he means by submit this story to pub for publication. I'm thinking Essence magazine. Like, what? <laughs> I was dead serious too. I was like, does he want me to submit this to Essence? So I typed it up into a Word document and then, you know, went to talk to him. And I'm like, I didn't know if you meant like popular, like print, like, I don't know, like a black woman centered press, like um, Essence magazine, something like Glamour. I, I didn't know what you had in mind. He looked at me like, what? No, no, no. You need to submit this to a, jour a journal, a medical journal. I had never heard of essays being in medical journals. Bottom line is he told me that um, I should submit it to JAMA and Annals. Go to JAMA mm -hmm. first. I submit this essay to JAMA and probably 36 hours after I submitted it, I got an email that they needed me to talk to the editor in chief. The Ooh. editor in chief schedules a phone call with me to tell me that she wanted to personally accept my um, paper on site and that they were going to publish it in two weeks in their HIV issue that was about to come out. Mm -hmm. And that my writing moved her to tears and that it was brave and it was beautiful and it was powerful. And, and, I, and I just sat there like staring at my computer screen while I was on the phone with her, like thinking I was getting punked. But the thing about it is it did the thing to me that I felt back in the seventh grade. It was like, you know what? I, I'm, a, I'm a really good writer. 
And mm. what happen if I actually work at this more and give my best? So from there forward, you know, I began to write regularly um, and shout out to the book Peak, which talks about deliberate practice and the power of deliberate practice. I began to make deliberate practice and began to submit my, my essays to journals and over time really started to have a collection of them on my CV and started to kind of build my national reputation as a storyteller and as a narrative medicine person. And I will tell you, if, if Shirley McNeil at parent school had not put a C on my paper and told me to make up my mind to be great. If that medical student had not looked me in my eye and said, I don't know what you're going to do, but whatever you do, it should involve medical students. And if Bill Branch had not looked at my little yellow notebook sheet of paper that I had written freehand on and said, this was outstanding. You should submit mm. this to the journal. I would not be doing a lot of the things that I do right now. I know I wouldn't. I would not write the way I write. I would not tell story. I would not be as brave as I am. And not, everything doesn't go perfect. Every single thing I submit doesn't get accepted. But I will tell you the majority of the time when I submit a really good essay or I write something, I will look at it and I will say, this is great. If it gets rejected, I've had some, some of my most like shared got rejected by one journal first. And I was like, okay, let me make some edits, but this is dope. And this should be read by a wide audience. I'm going to submit it to another high impact journal. And usually the second journal takes it. If it's an mm. essay, if it's an essay, y'all, <laughs> I didn't need help. <laughs> so the whole point of all of this is that who has planted seeds in you? What are these pivotal moments that planted a seed in you um, that, that kind of fight back the doubt that you feel sometimes? And, 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 you know, the old um, Kenny Loggins song, this is it, says, no one can tell you what you know. Mm. Um, and the truth is, what I know now is I know I'm a damn good writer. I'm a damn good writer of, of, a, of a narrative. I know, and I know I write things in a way that other people do not. And I tell a story in a way that other people do not. And it is okay to speak that affirmation, um, but I would never have been able to do that if I had not had enough experiences now at 52 where my actions have given my words um, value. But mm -hmm. the actions don't sometimes don't happen if somebody is not fanning your flames and pushing you to be great. And I mean, that lady, you know, Shirley McNeil, she's, she's deceased now, but shout out to every educator who has ever looked in the face of a, of a student and pushed them to be their best. Or gave yes. them some tough feedback that kind of stung a little bit. But those, I think those three moments, they, they are, they've been really pivotal to my career. Wow. I love that for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, I'm sitting here like taking notes because I need <laughs> <laughs> a little something extra to get myself to feel that level of confidence with, with my writing. But I think, you know, from that first story, it reminds me too of, you know, the few teachers that I can think of from elementary school on and just how early it starts for people to be able to see you and like kind of plant those seeds before you can even see it in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly to have the, I don't know, kind of be attuned to what a student needs. It'd be one thing to pat you on the back and like, this is a great start, but I think you can do better versus like you seeing that C on your paper and all that stuff written in the margins. And also to have the gumption to like go up to her and like talk to her afterwards. When I went to her, it was because I actually believed that I could 
change her mind. I could like show her that she was wrong. You know, mm. um, I just really wasn't ready for that smoke, you know, that she was coming <laughs> for me with. And she just looked at me and she was just like, you're charming. You'll probably get, you know, and you're a good writer. You'll probably get A's out of most other teachers, not me. Wow. She was like, she, she, and she flat out told me that she had my number. I remember she said this to me, I have your number and I'm not afraid to dial it. Ooh, like and all your I, parents? No, no. My number <laughs> meaning like, she was like, you, you, you got more in you. I got your number. Like, I, oh, I, I, see, I see you, you know, and look, I was a, I was a little kid. I was like, look, lady, I'm in the seventh grade. Why are you tripping? Um, I, I would like to believe that that woman chose to teach middle school for a reason. Like she knew mm. that that was an important period. And, and I don't know, there's just something about this idea that you can do something that you think like, oh, you know what? I can do this. And, and, and her letting you know that like talent alone is not enough. Yeah. I'm not trying. Mm. And she's like, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And I'm telling you, you, you actually, you just have a way with words. And if you start working at it, you can really, really be good at this. Mm. So, you know, like it's people that's not applying to medical school because they don't think they can go to medical school because they, it has not, nobody has looked at them and said, you should be a doctor. Yeah. Yep. You know, mm. so shout out to Miss McNeil. Yeah. Shout out to Miss McNeil. Did you see yourself as a writer when you were going into your faculty position? Was that something that was still in, on your mind as something you wanted to do? No, it was in my head as a hobby. You know, I've always been the person that like, oh, you know, if the family has something going on, oh, Kimberly, give the little speech or whatever. You know, so I, I knew that I could I could write something, you know, I, I always knew that. But um, I think the power of what what Bill Branch did for me is he showed me how I could marry it to my job as a clinician educator. And I didn't, I didn't realize that those two things could um, actually, inter you know, co-mingle and help mm -hmm. advance my career. And I remember, like, I had two essays once get published within, like, weeks of each other, one in JAMA and one in Annals. And I was, like, feeling myself. And, you know, somebody looked at me and was like, oh, you know, now you can just get some research published. And I remember Carlos Del Rio, who's one of our senior faculty at Emory, he was, looked at me. He was like, oh, if I were you. I would just submit so damn many essays to so damn many journals that at some point nobody can like deny you. Mm. It'll be all over your CV. And that is what I did. Wow. I mean, that is what I did. So I had not, I didn't know anybody who had like, you know, 30 um, <laughs> essays on their CV from high impact journals. But he's like, those are, those are peer review publications. I mean, they are, they're peer review publications. And I realized like, gosh, you know, I have so many stories in me. Some stories I'll look at and think this, I want to put in a journal, but sometimes I just like, now that I'm a full professor, I'm like, I just want people to interact with this story. So yes. um, now Twitter is a safe space for that. But I do think you have a beautiful way with words. It's like whenever I go back and listen to our podcast, because again, y'all, I listen to our podcast and Ashley don't. I'm a, I'm a fan of our, I listen to the Ashley episodes, but I always hear you say things and I'm just like, damn. Ashley, we'll string some words together in a way that I'm like, okay, I'm going to use that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I deeply appreciate that. And I'm glad that you're listening to them on the back end. So you can let me know if I forgot something. Because once I'm done editing, that's it. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. <laughs> has, any, has any sort of pivot point like jumped into your head that you would like to share um, as we've had this conversation? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, I'll just point back to an episode that we talked about. Actually, I remember doing this episode while I was here in my mother's house Mm. when I talked about the mentor that I had between my first and second year of college, where I was really struggling in all of my sciences, those Mm. entry level courses. And I ended up getting a research job with a, a woman who's a PhD in immunology. She's now retired. Uh, Dr. Christy Nance out of Baylor was probably my one of my first and most important mentors. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think that had she not taken a chance on me and helped me to see that science was something that I could do and comprehend, that I don't know that I would have ended up in medical school, to be completely honest. Wow. And the point that I make in the episode is like, she did not have to do that. She already had undergraduate students who were working with her who already had a stipend in this fancy, you know, summer program. And I was just there on the side, like, you know, trying to just peek over folks' shoulder, maybe clean the, the glassware. But she she invited me in and really just saw something in me that I didn't see it in myself at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was life changing. Well, I knew you was the goat when I met you for only 30 <laughs> minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> Shout yeah. out to her because, you know, I, I you know, I, I see what she saw for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, having folks like that in your life, you know, at all stages, but, you know, even for me as an early faculty member, having folks like you, having Dr. Nance and so many other mentors, like, I mean, it's, 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 it's a game changer. Yep. And, so, um, you know what you got to yeah. do? Got to pay it forward. Yep. Yep. Got to pay it forward. Sis, um, I admire you so much and you wanted my pivot points too, you know, yeah. that, that faithful day I met you, that has really um, changed the way I think and led to a lot and um, just one of the best things to happen to me in a long time. Mm. So shout out to you. Yes, you have no idea how mutual that feeling is. Yeah. And Dr. Gap- Gapri Dollywal can can pat himself on the back for this union <laughs> because <laughs> if he had not invited me to come there, and I still scratch my head at how that happened, but um, <laughs> this wouldn't have happened. So that's what's up. Yes. Shout out to Gapreed and shout out to Beth Harleman too, who put me on your very packed schedule. And <laughs> squeeze a little moment in there for me. That's what's up. All right, sis. Love All you. Right. Love you too. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.